Hello and welcome to 20 Tim Minutes, a podcast that focuses on mental health in a serious but yet humorous way. Listen as I interview a wide variety of guests where we show our support as well as sharing our own personal struggles and stories with mental health. I am your host, Tim McCarthy, and now it's time to talk about it. Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're tuning into another episode of 20 Tim Minutes. I am your host, Tim McCarthy. Today we have on humanitarian and child actress from the 90s who is most famous for her portrayal of Robin Russo on the Nickelodeon Secret World of Alex Mack, Natanya Ross. Natanya, how are you? Hi, I'm good. Good morning. Good morning to you, you too. I'm doing well, thank you. I appreciate you asking. Yeah. I like to ask this to all my guests first. What does mental health mean to you? Um, I mean, so many things, I think, right? Uh, it's, it's a layered and complicated thing that I think um, if you struggle with, you understand the complexity of it. And if you um, don't struggle with it, I think it's hard to understand um, I definitely struggle with mental health. So, um, I think it's part of like what makes me who I am, but I also understand because of that, it's something I need to take care of and be very like vigilant and mindful of. Um, and I think it's a topic that is getting more attention now, which I'm really glad to see, um, as opposed to like 20 years ago. And it was still kind of like a, uh, I think looked at like a, like a weakness or, um, almost like a hush hush. We don't talk about that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, mental health it's, I work in mental health. Um, so it's important to me. It means a lot to me, you know, so it's a lot of different things to me. It's such a loaded question, but you answered it. perfectly. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) You started one of my favorite shows as a kid, the secret world of Alex Mack. What was it like being casted on that show? Like when it was sold to you, because like you're the friend of the main character, but at one point she's going to turn into a Capri son. Uh, like, what did you, what did you make of that when you were a kid? Um, well, I mean, going in for it, we didn't really know the full premise. Usually you don't get like, they don't like to give away the whole thing, you know, because then it leaves of trademarking. I don't know. Um, I originally I'd gone in for Alex and screen tested for that role. And then they shot the pilot. I didn't get it, obviously. And they shot the pilot and recast the whole thing. And then asked me to come back the second time around for the sister and didn't get that. And then they called my agent and said they had like written a special part just for me. Um, so I, I went down there for Robin and there was like a million other girls there too. And I was like, <laughs> these fuckers bamboozled me again. And um, so, but yeah, then I got the role of Robin and it was supposed to just be like a three episode arc and by the end of like when I was done filming the third episode they offered me the role I ended up doing all the episodes so yeah but no I I um obviously once I started shooting I knew that she could turn into a puddle and all of that kind of stuff and I don't even think like in the first season when we were shooting that any of us like knew how cool that was or how cool it was about to be um because it's hard to like uh, actualize when you're just filming and they're, you know, I mean, my character actually never found out about the powers and never saw her morph into the liquid. So I never had any like reaction scenes where I had to be like, Whoa, that's crazy. That's happening. But I even just being on set and like 
watching Daris or whoever was filming with her and having to react to that. I mean, yeah, it was cool. I think at a certain point we realized like, whoa, this is going to be fucking big. This, this yeah. is different. This is really different. It was like kind of like CGI before the whole CGI thing took off, you know? Yeah, de- definitely. Definitely. I think they got, I think they got the special effects. The creator of the show, Tommy told me this. Got it from Terminator 2. Yep. I think. I know they spent like more than half the budget first season, like when we still had no money (laughs) because no one knew if we were going to be anything, they spent like half the budget just on that effect. Yeah. I can imagine. He knew knew that that's what like, that was going to sell the show. I'm, I'm, he tells, I did a podcast with him. I, I, I can't even remember which one it was. He tells a really cool story how he like, mortgaged his house just to get that effect in the show. Wow. It's like, no, he had no clue whether it was going to like pay off or not. Obviously it paid off very well. Yeah, it definitely did. Shout out yeah. to Robin Russo for uh, having me like redheads at an early age. Thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What she, is did a lot, she did a lot for um, the, the redhead G- community of redheads. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because usually it's like they get picked on, but she was like legit. She was like melodramatic a little bit, a little dark. And it was like, she was, she was badass. Yeah, she was. She definitely was badass. Um, Yeah. I have a lot of fans that still tell me that, that like, you know, seeing another redhead represented on television and mind you, like the, the oddity of being a redhead, especially as a teenager, I, just because I was on television, like I was also still going through that too. Yeah. That's what a lot of people don't realize. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of your favorite memories of being a childhood act- actress? Um, God, there's so many, you know, um, it, it was such a cool childhood. Um, I started acting when I was six months old, so there's just so much. It's like hard to pinpoint, but, you know, usually my mind will always kind of focus back on like Alex Mack and Babysitter's Club. Those were like, you know, the big ones for me. Um, I think just kind of based on like the friendships that were formed that sustained throughout all the years, you know? Right. Was there any like one celebrity you saw you like were starstruck? You were like, Oh, this is, this is so-and-so. At that age, it didn't phase me really. But when I was 16, I did a show with Tim Curry that definitely like threw me for a loop. I was like, Holy shit, this is like wild. And then, and then I did 90210. Um, in one of their last seasons and because that show was so huge for me growing yeah. up that um yeah so yeah actually 90210 because like when i saw luke perry and like um tori spelling and like that whole cast i was like you know <laughs> this is insane yeah i know it was a different time you might not be aware of it but do you what do you make of the allegations with nickelodeon i know they were made by alexa nicholas and jeanette mccarty a lot of like uh misconduct being being done with the uh like producers executives with them as like girls at a young age Did anything like that happened back in your days i feel like it's a different era yeah totally different era um i have some friends who have been through some gnarly shit with the network but um me personally i had like as wholesome of an experience as you can imagine i don't know i don't know if it's just like who's actually on set like producer wise creator wise director wise 
that's looking out for the kids, but we had like an exemplary, exemplary group of adults looking out for us. And with Tommy Lynch and the other creator, Ken Lipman, like it really was their utmost importance to make sure the kids were safe and happy and felt good and not overworked. And um, we really created like a, a family on that set big time, you know? So no, I mean, but I know it happens. It happens. That kind of stuff happens all the time. I'm actually very interested to read her book. I just ordered it um, on my Kindle. So I'm going to, yeah, that's, that's fucked up. That's really sad that that, you know, that's what can't, that was like the biggest takeaway from her book. So sorry for spoiling it for you. No, no, it's okay. I mean, it's, I would have seen it on TikTok. I'm sure. (laughs) Everything comes on TikTok. Exactly. Uh, things started to go south for you once you hit your twenties. First off, what was like the break of acting? Like why, why did that happen? Uh, it was like really of my own volition. Um, I just couldn't hold it together anymore. I was showing up to, you know, director's meetings just really fucked up. And, um, you know, there's only so long you can do that before your team gets wind of it and your agents, your managers, your publicists, all of that stuff. And, you know, um, uh, it, like I said, conversation, more conversations are being had now in the world, but back then too, even with drug addiction, it was not understood the way that it is now. There wasn't, you know, as much focus on, um, the understanding that there is treatment for alcoholics and addicts. And I think people just saw like, um, you know, a kid that had aged out of being like really cute and now was like kind of this messed up teenager or what have you. And, and it, what it, it, it almost, I think was looked upon like, like not that it was a disease that I had, you know, and mental health that I was struggling with, but that, um, like I was just, it was just for fun. Like I just didn't give a fuck and, Oh, she's just a rebel. And that's why she does stuff like that. And it certainly was not that like I needed help and it was a cry for help. I'm sure in many ways. And there just wasn't a lot of people around then willing to help. Right. Yeah. What made you get into drugs? Did you ever realize it was, it got bad at one point? You're like, Oh shit, this is uh this is bad, but I don't care. Sure. I mean, I started um, drinking and smoking weed pretty young. I mean, you know, listen, I was like a famous rich kid in Hollywood. So um, I was the sole breadwinner of my family. So like at a very early age, I could really just do whatever I wanted. And I think because I was so good at hiding and covering up for so long that, um, by the time I was like 18 and I wasn't under my mother's roof anymore. And I was really just like out on my own. That um, is when things got really crazy for me. I also think I just like fell into the wrong group of people. And I mean, there's a lot to be said for like, be careful who you surround yourself with. Not that I don't think it would have eventually gotten there, but I think I just got to that level much quicker And yeah, I mean, by the time I was 19, I was like strung out on heroin. So I knew, um, I knew the first time I did heroin that this was probably a wrap for me. Um, but like you said, I just, I guess I just didn't care at that point, you know? Such a having an inner circle and the people around you does make an effect on negativity and positivity. It's, it is interesting that who you surround with actually is your makeup. Totally. hundred percent. Yeah. I say it all the time to my friends now too, like you are who you surround yourself with, yep. you know? And it's not to say that like, if you have a friend that's like a sh- super shitty person or whatever, that you're automatically a super shitty person, but right. water seeks its own level. So in the times of, in my life that I 
have not been like mentally sound or spiritually strong. I notice that I tend to gravitate to people that are kind of like operating on that same level. Right. But when I'm like in my truth and in exactly who I am and who God created and intended for me to be, I'm usually around some uh, incredibly phenomenal, like good hearted, um, positive people. That's just kind of how it is, you know, I think, you know, hundred percent. Correct. I like that. Um, why does it seem like child actors have the most struggles in Hollywood when growing up? I feel like that's like a, um, not a fat, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like, you just see it happen a a bunch. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that like an, a, a brain at that age is fully formed enough to like put them in front of a camera and for like, you know, however many years for me, it was almost two decades be told like, you're amazing. You're the best. You're this, you're that, you're that. But then also on the other side of that coin, you know, I dealt with a lot of like, you're so talented. You're, um, you know, you're going to be the biggest star in the world, blah, blah, blah. But like, you're not, um, you're not like a, an all American pretty girl or whatever. You're edgy, you know, you're cool looking or, you know, you're beautiful, but it takes a second to see it. And like just being, having all that kind of stuff pounded into you over and over. Like I, you know, they started doing plastic surgery on me at a very early age. And really, yeah. And just, you know, so I think it, it starts to affect the, the psyche at some point. And even if you take all of that out of it, look, if you put a kid in front of a camera at a certain age, um, and they become really successful. And, um, then by the time they're 17, 18 years old, they're basically like deemed washed up or, um, not cute enough anymore or whatever it is, it's a very hard transition from like child acting into adult acting that will fuck with your psyche, you know? And if you don't have very, very, very strong parental structure around you, it's very easy to fall into the temptation of what Hollywood can be. Right. Because it's, it's grant you're granted access to it at an age that's like preposterous for any kid to have access to that kind of stuff. And then you pile money and fame on top of it. And, um, you know, in a lot of cases, a lot of child actors do become the breadwinner of their family. And then it becomes hard to tell that kid what to do. And if the parents want the rent paid and all the stuff that comes along with those kinds of paychecks at an early age, usually they just let the kid go wild, you know? And then by the time you're 19, you have this horrendous drug problem and no one wants to fuck with you anymore because they already got everything out of you that they could. I can't believe some of that stuff was said to you. Oh yeah. I mean, that's tame. <laughs> that's, that's, that's all tame. Sorry. I have the worst allergies. I'm like sitting under my air conditioner. Um, yeah, that was tame. I mean, I, and, and I think even today, a lot of my friends wonder like why I'm so tough and that, you know, it, it, it appears almost as if I can't be rattled, which is not true. I'm incredibly sensitive And obviously, you know, um, my feelings get hurt just like the next person. But I think because I've dealt with this kind of thing my whole life, um, from either, you know, uh, my team or, uh, casting director or whatever. Right. Or, and then even just in my adult life with people that I meet that don't understand me because of what my life has been, they tend to, again, I think the human psyche doesn't know how to process things sometimes that they don't understand. So it just becomes like a, 
oh, she's washed up or she's this or she's that. I mean, I still get DMs sometimes that are like, oh my God, you've gained so much weight or it's just, it's been a, it's been a lifetime of, you know, crazy shit, but it's also been a lifetime of like amazing stuff too. Like people like yourself that are like, that was my favorite show growing up or I, you know, loved, you know, it was the first time I like loved a redhead or whatever, just beautiful things too. And then even deeper than that, like I was suicidal in high school, but your character seemed to understand how I felt. So instead of like hurting myself, I just like watched what Robin was going to do the next week. So it's been like really a lifetime of like, it's been a mixed bag, but you know, I think that people look at child actors and they're like, wow, you're so lucky. Like you got to do all of this cool shit and hundred percent, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything, but it's also like, I've paid a very, um, I've paid a very big price for having had that life too. I've paid a big price, you know, um, I'm not sitting here on, on top of a pile of money by any means. I, I'm paycheck to paycheck like everybody else. I work a regular job like everybody else. And, um, you know, and I've spent all of my twenties and some of my thirties figuring out who I was as a woman and figuring out what it means to kind of, um, recover from drug addiction. Yeah. It was Alex Mack of the secret files of Shelby will Alex Mack guy. Um, he's probably so tough because what are you from New Jersey? I'm originally from Asbury Park, but I, I really grew up in Manhattan, but I was out here by the time I was nine and never went back. So where am I from? I have no idea. Right. Prob- probably LA more at this point. Yeah. All right. All right. Was there a defining moment before you started your recovery that you were like, fuck, it's time to make a change today? I mean, th- there's been, I've had different recoveries. Like I, I haven't just had one sobriety date and it stuck the whole time. I've tried, I just like kept coming back, kept coming back. The first time I went to an AA meeting, I was 17 and I'm 40 now. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, there's been multiple, multiple, multiple times, scary times, heartbreaking times in my life where I knew what I was doing was not good. And, um, and I had no idea if I was ever going to be able to make a change or not. What was your mental health like that during that time, especially like you were battling with homelessness too, right? Yeah. So, um, yes. So I lived in a car with two other child actors actually, um, for about a year and a half. And, um, that was super gnarly, you know, four or five years prior, you know, I'm on one of the biggest TV shows in the world. And, and if someone had told me then like, Hey, in five years from now, this is what it's going to look like. It would have felt preposterous to me, but, um, my mental, you know, I don't remember what my mental health was like because I was so, um, lubricated the whole time, you know, heroin is the King Cobra of all drugs. And if you, I mean, obviously in the times that we're hustling to like figure out how to get more, then you're dealing with, with dope sickness. So I don't even know that I, I had like a lucid moment to really sit there and be like, wow, my mental health is here or here or what have you. Um, because I was so fucked up on drugs, the mental health piece for me didn't really come into play and be as a parent until I got sober. That transition from battling that and going sober from heroin is like one of the worst, right? That's like not a, that's not an easy transition. It's not, this is a vape. 
by the way, this is nicotine. Just for anyone that is out there that might be watching, I don't add people like to be like, come for me. They're like, oh my God, look, she's smoking weed on this podcast while talking about being sober. No. Right, right. Um, also, I do not advocate for these things. I'm just like highly addicted to them. I think nicotine is probably the worst drug you can ever try and get off. Um, so the transition from getting off heroin to getting sober. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I think, you know, I work in treatment now, so I help other, um, struggling addicts, you know, get into a treatment facility and detox. And, um, I will say I'm super grateful that I am, uh, a person in recovery in this decade with the kind of drugs that have come out now. Yeah. We're watching a fentanyl epidemic and, um, and honestly, some drugs, like I'll get phone calls that I've never heard of in my life. You know, I'm like, I feel like the old lady, I'm like Googling <laughs> what it is. Right. So right. back in my day, heroin um, was dangerous, very dangerous, of course. But it was like, it was like a weird thing to say, but it was like a little bit more straightforward. You kind of just knew what you were getting. It wasn't like, you know, there wasn't the like impending threat of it being cut with fentanyl which is like a substance that one grain can kill you Mm -hmm. so um i don't you know so anyway so the withdrawal from heroin is gnarly and um or any opiates really like pills whatever whatever it is um it's horrible and if you haven't experienced it it's just like it's hard to explain it's um it's like a maniacal sickness that takes over your whole body that is just uncontrollable there is nothing you can do or take that will calm it down. There are obviously some detox meds that are given out in rehabs and stuff like that to just, they're called comfort meds to just like make it a little bit better, but there's like no amount of weed you can smoke. I guess you could take like a couple Xanax and try and knock yourself out for the whole time, but like it's horrible. But really I think it's like the mental obsession that when you're in that place, you will do anything not to feel what you're feeling, um, which I think is what kept me on it for so long. You know, back in the 90s, early 2000s, people aren't like there, there was no warning labels that came with this shit. I got involved with the wrong people and I was exposed, <clears throat> excuse me, to this drug. And, um, you know, no one said to me like, hey, if you continue to do this at this amount every single day within three months, your body's going to be physically addicted and you're going to battle that for the next 10 years. No one's around saying that kind of stuff, you know? And at that point in my life, I was already like such a broken person without even knowing it. And there were so many like dark pockets of my brain that weren't being filled up with any kind of a spiritual solution. And like just an emptiness inside of me that I had no idea what I was willingly walking right into. You are doing a lot to give back, which is awesome to see. So in 2013, you founded the San Fernando Valley Feed the Homeless, which is a nonprofit that provides meals and clothing to those living on the street, which is great. And I also know you joined forces with another nonprofit called Hope of the Valley. Can you elaborate on that one? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it started um, Feed the Homeless. And then we usually do these like huge events. But when COVID hit, you can't have like a 300 person event. And it was also because we didn't really know a lot about COVID in the very beginning or what was going on with it. I, you know, I couldn't willingly ask people to come downtown LA with me. Um, 
you know, and expose themselves to coronavirus and stuff like that. So I had seen a friend of mine post about that she had raised money to sponsor a tiny home that got somebody off the street. And I was like, what the fuck is that? Like that is next level. And I had been really trying to figure out what the next kind of level was I could do to help people in need. Like my heart and my passion really is with the homeless community. That's kind of just been my thing. And, um, so I reached out to this organization and I got a hold of the founder and the CEO and we had an amazing conversation and I was just super inspired after that. And because I have a platform and I have friends that have platforms, I instantly got all my friends involved. I think you just recently interviewed Sean. I got him coming up. Yeah. Oh, okay. And that's, you know, it's your boy. One my, that's one of my best friends in the whole world. So, you know, all of us, we just kind of got together and did what we could. And I just, you know, like nose to the ground or however they say that just, I just started calling people and I was like, give me money to help (laughs) homeless people. And people did, they gave me money. And with, before I knew it, we were able to sponsor four homes and it's been a really beautiful experience. I got to go down there and actually meet the people who moved in. And, um, but it's, it's, it's also like, um, it's one thing to, I, I got an opportunity to talk about this on Adam Carolla too, which was awesome. And I was explaining that it's like one thing to get somebody off the street and put them into a tiny home. But, you know, for somebody that's been living on the street for a long time, or like we're talking about somebody that's suffering with mental health diagnosis or um, non-diagnosis, so to speak, like they haven't been properly diagnosed or properly medicated. It's one thing to just, excuse me, put them in the home and then be like, hey, figure out what your life that's never going to work or services that need to be provided. So Hope of the Valley not only provides three meals a day for people, but also, too, if you think about it, some people come in with literally just the clothes on their back, right? And I I just recently did a podcast last week where I was explaining that, like, there's so many things we take for granted. Like, you probably – I haven't showered this morning yet, but I was able to shower yesterday. I slept in a beautiful bed. Um, I was able to wake up and drink a cup of coffee. I'm sitting here, you know, at my home office. Um, and these are things that people like really take for granted. Right. So a lot of people, when they come in, they have like the shirt on their back and that's it. So there's a whole thrift store that's dedicated for people that come in. They let them go to the thrift store and pick out a whole new wardrobe, um, to give them some of their dignity back. And that's just like the, you know, they give them toiletries. That's just like the basic human needs. And then they provide a counselor, a case manager for everybody. They also get therapeutic services so they can get into therapy, um, medical services. A lot of people come in with some gnarly medical issues going on, be it an abscess or they haven't gotten a vaccine. If they choose to get a vaccine, they haven't had a checkup, a dental checkup. I mean, it goes on and on and on. All of that is provided um, and, uh, and then they have a case manager who helps them with stuff like job training and it's the hope of the Valley. It, it's kind of like the last step before permanent housing. Right. So like they can stay there as long as they need, but the next step is to get the keys to an apartment and that's it. You're starting your life over. And, you know, I think one thing people don't realize when they're like, Oh, they, they should just get a job and get off the street. It's like right. the biggest barrier to get a getting a job when you're homeless is you need an address to get a job. Yeah. When you fill out a job application, you need to be able to say where you live. 
So now they move into a tiny home and guess what? They have an address. They can go get a driver's license now. They can go get their social security card or whatever it is. And they can go get that job. And, you know, the homeless population, there's a lot of different stuff going on. There's a big piece that's like, they're just shelter resistant. And unfortunately, they're probably going to choose to live the rest of their life on the street. And some are drug addicted and some are suffering with mental health issues. And the Hope of the Valley's motto is like, you don't have to change your life to come here. Come here and let us help you change your life. Right. You know, so it's a beautiful organization. And yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a great idea. And I, I'm glad that it's going well for everybody. Yeah. This is a, this is a personal question because I see when you run into somebody that's homeless, I think a lot of people have this thought is like, you think they're scamming you. Do you, do you come across like scammers a lot or? I mean, what's scamming? You know, if someone's just asking you for money right. and you can assume it's either for food or for drugs, it's like, a, I think it's a personal decision whether or not, you know, it's, if you choose to give someone money on the street or what have you, like, I think you have to just understand the circumstances that people need to do what they need to do to get by. Like for someone that's never lived on the street or understood what it's like to be out in that kind of like a heat condition or a freezing condition or not have a shower or whatever. If like all they can do to get through that day to get to the next day is like drink a 40 or try and get some dope or whatever. Like if you choose to give them money and that's what they spend it on, you know, scamming, I don't know. That's, that's a hard one for me to answer. Right. No, I just like, I see, you see some of those like YouTube videos where like somebody that's not homeless, like dresses up like one. And like, Oh yes. That's, that's what I'm talking about. That's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Like what, what the fuck? Yeah, that's, that's why. That's why sometimes in my head, it's like I would love to like we should help this person, but it's like are they that type of shit bag where they're like pretending right. to be homeless. Right. That. Yeah, I didn't understand the question. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure I have gotten scammed. I'm right. Sure, I have. <laughs> yeah. So you're currently the director of business development for an LA rehab facility uh, and sat as vice president for on the National Board of Women's Association of Addiction Treatment. What is that? So that's an organization um, that was founded by a group of like super ethical women in the industry that I work in, the drug and alcohol and mental health industry about 20 years ago. And it was just a group of really powerful women that came together that wanted to make some changes in the world of addiction treatment and kind of form a coalition of, you know, strong, ethical um women that created a platform and a space for other women to come together and network and like find their people. Cause the job that we do already obviously is, is intricate and hard and, and sensitive and a million other things I could say. And, um, so yeah, so I joined the board a few years ago on, as a different position and then the vice presidency came up and I was nominated and voted in and it's been an honor for me to do that. It's nonprofit as well. And, um, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful organization, um, with really just, you know, the, the, the betterment of the industry that I work in, in mind. What are some things people can do to help give back to their community? There's a lot. So I think that when people think about you know, I can't, I have nothing. I have nothing to give back. There's always something, right? Like I started San Fernando Valley feed the homeless with the 
idea that I was just driving around my, my neighborhood and I saw a lot of homeless people and people are so focused on like downtown LA or Santa Monica or Venice or what have you. And I was like, no, fuck that. There's people in need out here. We just made a few sandwiches and drove around. And that's how we started. We fed like 80 people that day. And, you know, eight years later, we were feeding 5,000 at a time. So I think it takes one person to inspire another. And there's all sorts of, you know, it's one person to inspire another. And then before you know, you've inspired a group of people who can all come together and brainstorm creative ideas to get out there in your communities. And it's not just the homeless community. There's a lot of different communities within our communities that are struggling and in need of help, be it like a big brother, big sister program, or, um, you know, abused women, uh, abused men, um, people that are struggling with drug addiction, mental health. Um, you know, you could go in your closet, clean out your closet, donate that to your local shelter. There's so many different things. You could volunteer your time, go down there, help them make food, help them pass out food. So many different things. I think just, it, you know, you can find your local organizations, do your research, check the reviews, make sure they're a legit organization. Right. Um, and, and if you feel comfortable with that organization and the cause, I mean, there's shit you can do for animals that are in need. There's so much stuff. And then call them up and say, Hey, look, I don't have a lot of money, but I'd love to do something to help. Like, can I come volunteer my time? You know, helping, helping less fortunate communities in need doesn't always mean money. I also don't have a lot of money I can donate to, but I have a lot of time I can donate and a lot of you know, resources and I have a platform and there's all different ways to give back to those in need. Everyone listening, go give back. All right. It's easy to do. Um, what are some words of wisdom you would give people that are struggling, whether it be addiction, mental health, what would you say to them? Um, I think the first thing I would just say is it's okay. Like it's okay. Um, for as many people have made you feel that it's not okay, it is okay. And you're not alone. Um, and that I think in the world that we live in today, we are all struggling with something. I think the, the best and coolest and like hippest, dopest thing you could ever be in your lifetime is kind. And we live in a world also that tells us that like that doesn't necessarily matter right now, but that is the fucking coolest shit you can ever do is like be kind to somebody else. Um, if you have something that you can do to help another human being, you never know what kind of effect it can have on their life. When you get a phone call and someone is in need and asking for help, you just fucking do it no matter what. And I think my saving grace, my motto in life that has gotten me through times where I didn't know if I was like, okay, or even re even in my life today, there are times where I'm like, am I going to make it? Like, is, is everything going to be Okay. And my motto has always been, the more I think about you, the less I think about me. I love it. You are a great person. I, I know we just met, but I'm very happy and proud proud of you for everything that you've done. It's not easy to do what you do, especially like you run like four different things. Um, you're helping people out there. Like you're doing like great work and I'm just very happy and proud of you. I just wanted to say that. Thank you so much. That really does mean a lot to hear. It's been a long a long fucking road, my friend. Yep. You should be proud of yeah. yourself, too. Thank you. I am. How's the autobiography coming along? Can you tell us it, anything about it? Yeah, it's trudging. It's, we're almost done. So um, my co-author is actually in Europe right now. So we're on like just a couple-week break. 
which is good because I sometimes I need my brain to clear out a little bit so I can get back into it. Um, and it's interesting with the Jeanette McCurdy autobiography coming out. That's why I ordered it right away. It sounds similar, not fully, but, um, so yeah, it's almost done. We're looking, we're, we're anticipating a release date for 2023. And, um, yeah, it's excited about that. It's, it's been a, we've been doing it for two years now, so we're almost done. I didn't want to leave a single thing out and everything is in there. Um, you know, I've had a wild life, um, and it's finally going to be told on my terms. Do you have a name for the book yet? You probably can't tell me, but do you have a name yet? I do. Oh, I was going to say, I was going to suggest one. I'd love to hear it. Maybe I can mesh them. From Ross to Boss. Oh, you know, that, um... (laughs) That is very cute. I've heard that a couple times in a couple different variations, and I will throw it in the mix as a consideration just for you. But Fantastic. no problems. <laughs> no problem. So, let's finish up with this. A couple more questions for you. And I, I appreciate you donating your time. It just shows how much of a good person you are to do something like this for a po- podcast like mine. So if I try to say yes to every podcast and every interview I'm asked to do, Um, because I know, first of all, I know how much the show meant to you guys. And I know as an adult, it's probably like, sorry, my ring light is like right in my glasses. I just can't, what does it matter? We've done the whole interview. Um, I know how much it, it, it meant to you as a kid, you know, and it's probably a trip to, as an adult now to sit with me as an adult and have this kind of a conversation. So I honor that. And I know how special it is for people to be able to do that. And it's special for me too, you know, and, and, uh, it's like the least I can do for all the people that have like rocked with me for so many years and still, you know, love what I've done in my life and stuff like that. So yeah, my pleasure. Fan interactions always crack me up. Do you have any funny stories with any fans? Like you were like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, I love um, this. I mean, I, t- like a specific one would be so hard. And yeah. And Sean could probably like tell you funnier story. He's like way funnier than me. Um, but we do a lot of autograph signings all around the country together. And because, you know, we're best friends, we like to get sat at ne- our table, sat yep. next to each other. And sometimes people come up and we'll just look at each other and be like, what the fuck i think for me like 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 sports movies fans are very different than like cult classic fans right so i do get a lot of really meaningful interaction sean does too of course but a lot of really meaningful interactions of like how i changed someone's childhood or what have you but also i get a lot of people that feel very entitled to a piece of me or like whatever and they've researched my life and this and that and they'll come up and ask like very 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 inappropriate questions at an autograph signing where there's like a bunch of other people around and i also tend to get a lot of like male cosplay guys that like to come up to my table and just kind of like linger around and um they're like dressed up as characters that like i don't know i've never even seen star wars i know you can oh. like Jeez. You can dra- you can drag me for that. I know it's fucked up, and I need to like get on that. I've never seen Harry Potter. I got a lot of shit to catch up on. I am a big Game of Thrones girl, but 
you know, uh, yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot of, um, yeah, there's a lot of, it's a mixed bag. Most of right. it's amazing and beautiful. And, and then some people, because I'm, I'm very nice and I will answer, you know, I'm sure I miss one here and there. I will answer all my DMS. I will always comment back to a fan on my posts and all of that. So I think sometimes, you know, people do tend to take advantage of that a little bit and I'll have to set a boundary, but yeah, fan interactions can go so many different ways. Yeah. That's so funny. Where were you guys at nineties con? I was at nineties con. Where were you guys? The point of contention. I know we were not invited. Really? Yeah. It's not that we weren't invited and we're really hoping to do it next year. Um, I think that, um, the promoters of the show, they, the promoters of the, they, they already had so many people lined up and because COVID things had canceled and canceled. And we have an agent, you know, well, I have a, a booking agent who books me on all of my appearances and autograph signings and stuff. So we do try to make our way, um, around the country as much as possible. This has been a bit of a slower year for me signing wise, unfortunately, but, um, you know, I still, I was just recently in Atlantic city. I'm going to New Jersey in October. And I think next year is going to really pick up a lot for us. Cause I think things are finally calming down a little bit, but you know, with these, with these comic cons or whatever, because of COVID, they had actors and celebrity. They had people booked for years, right? Yeah. And then cancellations, cancellation. So they're trying to like get all the, and then you know, and if you weren't booked in that original thing, then it, it you get what I'm saying. But yeah, yeah. the 90s on that one was because I was just looking around at all my friends and I'm like, <laughs> fuck yeah, we definitely all wanted to be there. But you know, it is what it is, and we'll hopefully be in the next one. Yeah, for sure. You got to come up to the Northeast. I have a baseball I brought and I had it signed by like one of my, all my favorite female uh, actresses that were there. So like, I got to get you to sign that baseball. I have like Laurie Beth Denberg, Laura Winslow, Harriet Winslow. They were all super confused why I had them sign a baseball. But yeah, now I, have all their, I have all their autographs on it. So, so I, I need to get you yours. Gonna say, I thought you were going to say you had like the Sandlot guy sign the baseball. Oh, but no. the I like that female at your favorite female actresses. Yeah, that was yeah. Like Harriet Winslow was was all about it. Everyone else was very confused, but she was like, "Of course." I was like, "Have you ever signed a baseball before?" She was like, "No." I was like, "I've never signed a baseball either." So I would love to. Do- where Where are you located? I'm in Boston. In Boston, okay. So yeah, well, you know, I post on my Instagram. Hopefully, I get out to Boston at some point. Um, I've never been there, so that would be dope. I don't know how many signings they do out there but i'll tell my agent get me out to boston yeah please do yeah all right i know you have two dogs i'm a big dog guy what kind and what are their names so i have a havanese a five-year-old havanese named bill and i have a 14-year-old Papillon, love of my life they're both the love of my life her name is dax um and they are i mean anyone that knows me knows I am so obsessed with my dogs. Um, I would much prefer to stay home and be with them than go out like any day of the week. Um, Bill is like a, almost like a real child. He's, I know my fiance named him. He's named after um, my fiance's uncle. And um, he's like a literal real child and the most loving, like he hugs. He's just a mama's boy follows me around everywhere. He like, he'll like look deep into your eyes and he's the best. Sorry. My eyelash is like 
you know, very LA. This is the most LA thing I'll say, but my eyelash extensions are like not performing. No, they look good. As girl. I would like. Um, and then Dax is just very, um, she's kind of a bitch. She's very independent. She just likes to be left alone. And if yeah. she wants to like hang out, she'll come around. And if not, she just like does her own thing, but they're the best. I love dogs. I love animals in general, but dogs are the best. They really are. Uh, last two questions. This is another yeah. question I asked all my guests. What would your personal theme song would be like? Think of like you were like a boxer and you came out to an arena. What is Natanya Ross's theme song? Tough question, right? Yeah, there's so many. There's so many. Like run through probably, a brick wall. Like what is your probably yours? probably when doves cry by Prince. Prince is good. That's, I haven't heard a Prince pick yet, and that's a great one. I love it. Now with this, what are three things that you're grateful for today? Um, to be alive, number one. Um, I'm grateful for um, my family and my fiance and my friends. And I am grateful for um, there's so much that, you know, there's so much. I'm grateful. Um, that I'm grateful that I have the ability today to live a, a completely different life than I, if you had asked me 10, 15 years ago, that I would be able to live. You know, if you'd asked me 10, 15 years ago, if this is what my life would look like today, I might've even told you that I wasn't sure that I would even still be here. So I'm grateful to still be here and to have opportunities like this to share my story with people and, Listen, if it just helps one other person, like you, I've done everything I need to do in my life. Not what it doesn't mean I want to like die tomorrow, but you know, right now I know what you mean if I have affected one person with my story and my struggle and what I've been through and how I've overcome it, then I've literally done everything I need to do in this lifetime. Tanya Ross, thank you so much for coming on. This was a lot of fun. Can't wait yeah. to get this episode out there. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. Thank you so much for having me and for doing this and raising awareness about mental health. It's very important and you're doing you're doing God's work too. So thank you. I appreciate you. Yeah. That's another episode of 2010 Minutes. Let's break the stigma by cracking a smile. I will see you soon. podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. If you are feeling suicidal, please dial 911.